welcome back to the Conservative Energy Podcast. I'm your host, Kayla Ventura. We have a special episode today that will air in two parts. You are listening to part one, the Conservative Case for Community Solar, a recently launched webinar hosted by the Community Solar Freedom Coalition. The Community Solar Freedom Coalition is a national coalition of organizations, policy advocates, and thought leaders who are committed to advancing American energy freedom by utilizing the economy, national security, and other competitive advantages of community solar. In the first part of our episode today, CEN CEO John Soka will introduce our webinar panelists, and then we will hear from Elizabeth Van Holt, who serves as the new markets director at the Coalition for Community Solar Access, or CCSA. She's our panel expert today. Please enjoy part one of the conservative case for community solar. My name is John Soka, and I'll be your moderator today. I'm the CEO of the Conservative Energy Network and a former five-term state legislator in the North Carolina House of Representatives. My work in energy policy and advocating for clean energy solutions helped shape North Carolina's clean energy landscape, and I'm really excited to discuss the potential of community solar today. Presenting this event, is the Community Solar Freedom Coalition, which is an initiative of the Conservative Energy Network. The Community Solar Freedom Coalition is a national coalition of organizations, policy advocates, and thought leaders committed to advancing American energy freedom through community solar. The coalition works in partnership with the Coalition for Community Solar Access at CCSA, a national trade association representing over 100 community solar companies, businesses, and nonprofits, all dedicated to expanding solar access for all Americans. Allow me today to introduce our esteemed panelists. Joining us today, we have Elizabeth Van Holt, the New Markets Director for the Community Solar Freedom Coalition, an expert in government affairs and coalition building. Elizabeth has over 25 years of experience working with major trade associations throughout the nation. Her insights are truly invaluable in advancing policy initiatives and building relationships with policymakers across the Midwest. Next, we have Thomas Turner, a renowned conservative activist. Thomas has played a pivotal role in, orga in organizing grassroots teams and supporting campaigns across Virginia and up and down the East Coast. He now serves as the State Director for Conservatives for Clean Energy Virginia. We hope to be joined by Representative Joseph Aragona later on. He's a state representative serving his first term in the Michigan House of Representatives. Representative Aragona serves on the House Energy Committee, and he brings fresh perspectives and a wealth of experience from his work in both the public and private sectors to our discussion today. And I said, I hope because right now he's in session in Michigan, and we've been told that session may run long today, so we truly hope that Representative Aragona is able to join us. For everyone attending today's webinar, I encourage you to take an active role. If you have questions during the webinar, just share them by using the Q&A function that you can find at the bottom of your Zoom screen. We'll take some time at the end to answer questions, and we'll do our best to get to all the questions. After today's webinar, visit communitysolarcoalition.org. That's communitysolarfreedomcoalition.org to learn more about community solar and consider joining the coalition. This webinar is being recorded and it will be available as a podcast episode 
on the Conservative Energy Podcast, which can be found on Spotify, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. All registrants for today will receive an email when the recording is available. Once again, I extend my warmest welcome to our panelists and all of you joining us today. And now I'll turn the floor over to Elizabeth, who's going to get us started with an explanation of exactly what community solar is. Elizabeth. Good afternoon, and thank you, John, for that warm introduction. Uh, we're gonna take the next couple of minutes and talk through what is community solar and why it's important to the various states that we all represent here, and, and really what is all the various types of community solar. So as we go to the next slide here, we're gonna look at solar. When I talk with legislators, they usually have a, an image of either the utility scale size, which is the many, many, many miles and sometimes acres of land, or they have the rooftop scale. Uh, obviously residential homes, some businesses have it, but we wanna look at this right in that sweet spot in the center and that's community solar. We're one of the fastest growing segments in the industry. We partner with landowners, we partner with local communities, we provide many benefits to the different communities to increase the grid enhancements and other infra infrastructure pieces like that. And so we wanna dive into what is community solar, why is it important, and why is it really needed? So on the next slide here, we're gonna talk a little bit about rooftop solar. Not everyone has the opportunity to have rooftop solar. They either don't own their roof, uh, their roof is maybe not south facing. I happen to have rooftop solar. I'm very fortunate that it's south, south facing, but not everyone has that. Or uh, they're such as a, a, um, a military family who has to move frequently or other families that need to move. And so we really wanna make sure that in the conversation of solar, solar is accessible to all families who want to have that access. And that's where we talk about what is community solar. So on the next slide, we're gonna talk a little bit about today, how the projects are developed at the sites in your communities. So you may be thinking, oh, are these those really big, you know, 300, 400 acre sites that I see when I drive through? And the answer is probably not. Most of our sites are what I like to say is on the back 40 of land. Uh, they are partnering with landowners. They are inconspicuously oftentimes placed. And so we aren't talking about, again, those large three, 400 acre lands uh, with solar panels on them. The other piece to ours is that we have multiple subscribers. So that is an interesting part where the landowner themselves get to be, gets to be a subscriber, but so does their community. And especially in rural parts of a state, this is such a critical piece of the culture and the identity of many of the towns that we all live and reside in is that we're doing something to help our communities. So small businesses have the opportunity to access the discounts, churches and schools, renters and other other businesses have that opportunity as well as other families in the community. And so it really is in our name, Community Solar, we are truly centrally focusing on the communities around in which we reside. And I say that intentionally is that we reside there because we aren't just putting steel in the ground and leaving. Community Solar is about making sure that there's strong, reliable, dependable and affordable energy for all parts of communities throughout the various states. The other part is that the receiver, the subscribers, I'm sorry, receive a credit on their utility bill. And we'll talk a little bit about, more about that, but that's an opportunity where folks who subscribe into Community Solar have that opportunity to lower their rates and really see some discounts on a time where we all know we're facing highest inflation rates. 
We know that the average cost of utilities is about 20, 25% of a family's home uh, for all of their overhead costs. And so how can we find a way to reduce that? This is one option that many states have either said, yes, we want to have or are in the process of having. And so that's that credit for subscriber is something that you can take home back to constituents, can take back to voters, can take back to communities and say, here is an option for you to be able to reduce your utility bill. And that's, that is a critical message of what we try to do here in Community Solar. And then again, the project sizes were one to five megawatts. And so somebody asked me, how do I know what a megawatt looks like? Well, a megawatt is pretty big. Uh, my roof is a megawatt, which isn't that big. So if that gives you any idea that you could put a megawatt on a house, um, but a usually one megawatt in farmland is five acres because they're more spread out. There's farming ability there. So a megawatt can be spread out or it can be uh, tightly knit together. But our projects are no more than five megawatts. So what does that mean? At our biggest, we're 25, maybe 30 acres, depending on the lay of the land. And we'll get a little bit more into how that's decided and what that means. And so when you think about it, when we work with farmers and landowners and interested to create what we call land contracts that we'll get into here in a second, we talk to them about what are the pieces of land that are not being used by you? Or what are some of your farmland that you just cannot farm on, whether it be rocky soil, not flat soil, um, we, we call it like the back 40. And every, every farmer that I've ever come across so far has says, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's the back 40 that I put the shed on, or you know, I have you know, parties in the fall for the kids in the neighborhood, or hunters use it to put their tents up and, and camp out, right? It's it's that sort of ad hoc, don't really, can't really produce revenue off of it. And so it's just there and it's part of my land. That's the piece of land we're looking to talk with, with landowners about creating that opportunity now to take a non-revenue revenue producing piece of land and turn it into a revenue producing piece of land. That is a critical piece to this. There's a couple of, of, of takeaways here of this slide. The, the few things I really want you to understand is that we are not buying the land. We are leasing the land from the landowners. It is a partnership with them. The land maintains in their family, in their ownership. Many farmers see this as a generational pass. Uh, this is an opportunity for them to create revenue with minimal investment and work. And what I mean by that is farming is hard. Anybody who's even just done a local garden, there's a lot of work, a lot of maintenance and a lot of upkeep and farmers do it because they're passionate and it's their family history of farming. And now this is an opportunity where we can help bring additional revenue to their farm without asking them to spend more falls out plowing like many of the farmers are doing right now and the season is starting to, to close out. Not asking them to spend more sunrises and sunsets out in the field. We're saying we wanna take that land that you can't produce re revenue on and we wanna help you produce in that little bit of extra revenue. Um, and so that, what does this look like, right? We've talked a little bit about this, the projects have developer or have uh, subscribers. We've talked a little bit about their size. So this slide is really hopefully informative. I'm a very visual person. And so I hope we can take a, a couple minutes here and just look at what this is and understand this. And so on the left side of your screen in the blue, you will see that this is a portion of land that was all wooded area. 
And this is uh, a little bit, uh, I actually don't know the size. I'm sorry, I'm stumbling. I thought it was a three megawatt, but I don't want to say that. Um, but about a three to five megawatt. And so the layout was decided in partnership with this landowner. They identified a piece of land that was not generating revenue. They identified the way that they wanted the land to be used in addition to panels. And what I mean by that is, if this had been a farming land, the panels could be more spread out where you could plow, or the panels could be raised up higher so you could have grazing sheep or even cows, believe it or not. And up in Wisconsin, I have seen cows under panels. Um, the only thing we can't do is goats, and there's a little joke there, but we all know goats eat everything, and, and that just does not work out well for panels and wires and electricity. So no goats, unfortunately, but you know, there's an opportunity here where panels can coexist with the landowner's wishes. And so their property rights and their land still gets to be maintained in a way that is of their interest, not necessarily of the interest of us coming in, purchasing the land, cleaning all of that greenery and all those trees would have been gone and putting a three, four, 500 acre um, set of panels out there. So that's a little bit of the difference. Our contracts are about 25 years with the landowner. So what does that mean? Well. That means that we we agree that we will maintain and operate solar panels on their land for 25 years and in exchange they receive lease or rent payments from us. There is also a reclamation clause in the contracts which says at the end of 25 years, if and when we either decide not to renew for either party's reasons, um, we will return the land to its original. So that is all decided in the contract again. The power is in the landowner. The landowner gets to decide the length of time. The landowner gets to decide the use through those 25 years. And the landowner is getting to decide how they want the land returned at the end of the time. Or they can exercise the option to renew at the to another 25-year contract. And so again, I, I really am trying to be really fundamentally clear here. I was told you have to repeat something a number of times to be remembered. I clearly do need things repeated for myself. Um, but if you if you have the landowners in our case, be empowered. Now it is not a 300 acre land that communities are enraged about because that generational farm is gone and that land is now no longer usable. That's not what we're doing here. We tried to find that sweet spot of bringing revenue into communities and bringing in clean energy and grid dependence and reliability that we'll talk about here in a second. Shifting quickly then over to the right side of the screen and the orange side, you will see this is also defined as community solar. And what a really cool picture we have here. You have a many acre factory with flat roof. Obviously have they have spaces for their AC and their ventilation, but they were able to lease out their roof space to allow for community solar. So what does that mean? It's not just landowners and farmers, but it's also manufacturing. It's also large industrial storage. Um, think about those large buildings that have refrigeration in them. Uh, think about the, the storage units that folks use for storing their uh, different decorations or their, their cars. Those are all also available to lease this, their roof space in order to partner with community solar so that we can put the panels on the roofs. And a lot of areas, and you'll see this in Maryland, most of those homes in the area probably do not even know those panels are on the roof. They can't see them. 
They think, you know, when the construction was going on, it's something to do with the industrial park, um, but it has minimal invasive, what I call architectural or visual view. And yet it still is that opportunity to provide heavy load um, electricity to parts of the communities and help not only that company, but also all those homes around it to be able to opt in to reduce their energy bills between 10 and 15%. And so again, we tried to find that community sweet spot, that melting pot between protecting the land, protecting the visual, and also providing energy at a more affordable opportunity for communities throughout the, the area. So quickly as we switch over here, and I, I've got about another five minutes now, the next slide we're gonna talk about the benefits. And I know this is, I've talked a little bit about them, but I really wanna be specific here. There's savings, not only to the, the subscriber, which is the ratepayer, but there's also savings to the landowners because they're generating revenue. There's grid benefits. We'll talk about having a heavy, dependable, reliable load in parts of the state that probably don't have access to that. There's land and environmental benefits, which we've talked a little bit about here as well, being able to protect the sanctity of the land, competition, innovation, and economic benefits. Some of these we may quickly run through just to be mindful of time, but all the slides are here to make sure that as you want to go back and review it, there's more in-depth detail. And so I love this cartoon, free market pond, the big fish, I ate all the little fish, now what? Uh, competition completely gone, I have complete access to the whole pond, I can eat all the quarry I want, and uh, again, no competition. And so we breed, or I shouldn't say breed, we provide competition to markets that maybe haven't had a competitive market in, in the utility space in a long time. This is not retail competition. Let me be clear. We are not deregulating. We are not um, lowest price wins. We are simply saying that with a creative business model in today's world, there is a way to give an option to families to reduce their utility bill, right? When we think about electricity is so important to communities now, it's the thing that they've turned their light switches on. It's the thing that provides access for the internet, for kids to go to school sometimes, for us to have this webinar to exchange ideas and thoughts and interests, to cook to cook our food and heat our homes as we're getting to the winter time. And yet many families only have the opportunity of one place to get their, their electricity from. And so this is that competition piece. On the next slide, we're gonna look at just really quickly here, because this is one piece that people kind of scratch their head and say, well, how can you reduce the price? Isn't a molecule the price of a molecule? Um, and, and you know, without getting into the weeds a little bit, you can see here through the bill comparison on the right side of the screen that our subscription model actually does allow them to reduce their price. Most of our companies say it's between 10 and 20%. Um, many states do a bill transparency a little bit different. And so the other piece to this, when we say on the innovation size is we're not a one size fits all. Different states decide different rules to make sure that it's the comfort level of their state and their culture. And that is why community solar does so well across the country, because we are flexible to the needs of the different states that we operate in. Um, and many folks compare us to Netflix. Um, for those of you who have Netflix, you understand. Uh, you sign up and it's a, a monthly subscription. It's a 30 day cancellation, pretty easy. The other cool thing is if you move, and, and I've got a lot of friends who moved over the last couple of years here, if you move within your same utility market, 
So for example, I, I live in a ComEd market. If I moved anywhere, basically in my entire state, ComEd is most of my state, my subscription would go with me. That's again, it's that portability component, that reliability of not only the electricity coming, but I also am portability within my savings. And so I'm not tied or beholden to one community or one home or one area, and I can only live in this area to get a discount. This opportunity is I, I still get to choose the freedom to choose where I want to live, and I get the freedom to choose if I can save some money on my bills. And so, like I mentioned, it's 10 to 20% of a discount. Um, there's a very subscription model. Again, happy to go into this more as we go on then to the next slide. And I know I've got about three minutes left here. Um, grid benefits. This one is a little bit more what I call in the wonk. I am not a wonk person, um, but the fundamental pieces. So those big metal lines are transmission lines and then the wooden poles and the wires are in front of those. And we help infrastructure replace those infrastructures. We help increase um, the reliability of the infrastructure. We oftentimes will help pay for the replacement of old and wearing out infrastructure, again, with private dollars, not with ratepayer dollars. And that's critical. So not only do we help with the infrastructure, but we also pay many of what's called the interconnection costs. And, and as we go through this, for those of you that are legislators, interconnection costs and capital costs are gonna be some of the biggest topics that you're gonna address here. But I just wanna be really upfront about this is that we as private investors pay all of those funds. And that is a critical value add to every ratepayer in the state, not just the subscribers, but every ratepayer gets to benefit from poles and wires that aren't gonna fall down uh, because the big wind came through and well, that, that line was already angled at 10%, now that line's already on the ground. It helps prov provide the resiliency of the grid completely because if we're replacing a piece of it, that means the electrons can go through all the way down the line and that weak spot doesn't stop outages along the way. And again, we can talk through more of that as we go on. This next slide here is land and environment. I've talked a lot about landowner. I really wanna put a fine explanation point on it is that the landowners, whether they be farmers, whether they be industrial facilities or manufacturing companies or large office spaces or retail spaces or shopping malls, right? They get to control a new revenue opportunity with minimal overhead. That you are helping them understand how they can bring new revenue to them. For landowners, they get to control what it looks like, how the land is used, that they still maintain good, rich soil for agricultural and use that back 40 for uh, things like this, such as solar. Uh, we also do brownfield sites and other sites that I'm happy to talk through at another time. Um, and just kind of really quickly here, the last, uh, last two slides, uh, we'll go through the economic benefits. I could talk numbers all day long. I'm a woman who loves to save a dollar. Um, and these economic benefits I could pour over here but these are some of the studies that we've done. These show you some of the dollars that we pro have private dollars going into communities. These are some of the jobs that we create. It says 50 to 100 family sustaining local jobs. Again, we try to hire local as much as we possibly can. That's property tax revenue that we're paying. That's community investment dollars that we're building into this. The, I mean, the, the money is there that we are stimulating into economies, not quite Taylor Swift level, for those of you who saw the numbers of Taylor Swift, it's not quite that big, um, but it is definitely an economic impact. 
of again what I call new money into your state and that's critical it's not recycled money meaning it's not the taxes that you've collected and now you're putting it into another program this is private dollars outside investors coming in and investing into your state to provide that economic impact um, going to the next slide here we've talked a lot about the size the scope the dollars the price the jobs we'll continue on to the next slide of where we talk about the three pillars of community solar and this is critical for again legislators where we have three acts, three points that we want to talk through. And I work in new markets, so I work in states that aren't currently open. And I say, I need permission slip to operate. That's the enabling legislation. Give us the ability, give us private investors, private companies to have the ability to bring community solar to your state. So now there's a little competition. There's a little more private investment. There's a little more grid resilience reliance. We'll bring some heavy load to parts of the state that don't normally have heavy load energy. And let's create this partnership. The other part is obviously access to the grid, which is connecting to those interconnection lines and access to customers, which is subscribers. But all of this gets decided individually by each state. So not every state is the same. And as we go to the next slide, you'll see we are currently discussing or have established in many states across the nation and not one of these states is, is identical to the other. So that's key is that every state decides what's best for their state, for their culture, for their community and for their business models. And so, again, you can see we're starting to get some more traction and some more footprint. We're going to really hone in on that Midwest area. So if you're from the Midwest, I'm coming to a state near you. Uh, you will see me live and in person making the same case. And then last, just to wrap up, this one is just a really good feel slide. It's it's really good. Uh, we partner with farm bureaus, with Cubs, with, with large companies. And we really try to make sure that the communities are bought into this before we take it to legislators so that legislators understand what the needs of their community are. So thank you all for the time that we took here for the Community Solar. Thank you for listening to the first part of this very special episode of the Conservative Energy Podcast. Join the Community Solar Freedom Coalition today by visiting www.communitysolarfreedomcoalition.org and learn more about Community Solar on the Clean Future Academy website, which you can find at www.conservativeenergynetwork.org forward slash CFA forward slash community dash solar. You can learn more about CEN by visiting www.conservativeenergynetwork.org. Find us on LinkedIn at Conservative Energy Network, Facebook at Conservative Energy Network, and X at Cons Energy Net. Listen to the Conservative Energy Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks, and I hope you have a great day.